Hey guys, welcome back to the Chalkline Talk podcast. We are uh, excited to be back with you uh, here on Sunday. Actually, this might air Monday, but we are we are taping it on Sunday um, for our Sunday matinee. Um, also excited that we released some new uh, podcast art that we just released to our social media accounts. So go check that out. Um, you'll see it, you know, when you pull up the podcast. But there's some different. Uh, different logos that we created so uh excited to release that um got a good show today we have a good guest we have patrick flowers from the dugout he writes about both the white Sox and the brewers so fits right in to uh this podcast we talked to him about draft we talked to him about um you know obviously the incredible situation that's going on right now between the players and the owners so um Good conversation with Patrick. We'll also talk with our resident Cubs fan, Casey Sauter, today. Um, you can listen, listen to him come on and talk about the scrubby team from the north side. So, uh, Kenny, what do you got for today? No, I'm ready. Let's get this. Let's get it rolling. How do we do that? All right. We will get it rolling. We will roll the intro. Well, to borrow a phrase from a man I uh, deeply uh, admire, uh, I'd like to pull up a chair. Take me out to the ball game. Katie, Katie was baseball mad, had the fever and had it bad. Just to root for the down to every address today is the uh, results of this week's draft. Um, White Sox and Brewers took two completely different routes. We saw a lot of teams have successful drafts. Really only a few 
I mean, obviously it's hard to talk about who is going to be successful or who, who lost the draft early on, but there are people that did miss out on some obvious talent. Um, and there were a lot of people that took advantage of some obvious talent. Um, but yeah, we saw the White Sox and Brewers take two completely separate routes uh, with the White Sox attacking early in the draft, high end pitchers and the Brewers taking a lot of very toolsy college bats uh, with a very deep draft. So Kenny, why don't you uh, give us some input? Yeah, so I got three big winners from the draft, and then I got three big losers from the draft. So I just want to go into my first winner. Um, I think the Rays are my first winner, Nick Bitsko. Uh, it was probably one of the one of the biggest deals of the draft, falling to twenty four. Um, you know, Tampa may have a legitimate ace with him, and he fell down to twenty four. Yeah, Bitsko was a guy that was valued very highly by a lot of people. Um, there was talk that even the White Sox could be in, uh, in play for him at 11. Um, so him falling, I mean, and of course, you know, he falls to the Rays, who just seem to develop high school players. Uh, I guess they develop any player they get, but especially high school guys, they seem to develop them extremely well, extremely quickly. And uh, they almost always have success at the big league level. So a really good, a really good find by the Rays at 24. Yeah, I think we're going to see that move benefit them for a long run. You know, especially the the route that Tampa Bay has taken in the past. I know we talked about that when we broke down the ALEs. What was that maybe two weeks ago? Um, where we said, hey, you know, the Rays in the past have, you know, they use the guys for four or five years in the bigs, and then they trade them. They replenish their farm system. So you know. Nick Bitsko might be the guy that's their ace in that second wave because, I mean, the Rays at some point here in the near future will probably start selling unless they've completely decided, hey, we're going to change our ways and we're going to start paying guys. Yeah, and especially the way things are going right now, you don't see them changing their ways to pay guys. No. So then they'll take me into my second winner of the draft, which is the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, um, that's, you know, that's a winner. So somehow, you know, Austin Martin – falls down to them um you know he's a guy to me that if he sticks at third base which is where I think he'll probably end up playing you know as a Justin Turner Anthony Rendon guy with more position versatility that hey go play second base go play shortstop go play outfield you know I think that was a huge pick for them to get I think uh, I mean we talked about this with Dan the other day but um I thought Austin Martin was probably the best player in the draft and for him to fall to five um, I mean, we were talking the other day about the Blue Jays, you know, maybe do they, they take Veen? Uh, do we see them take Meyer or Hancock? Who, I mean, they got a, they got a gift at five. Yes. I don't know how, and you know, all of them. uh, Austin Martin will probably move to the outfield, especially with how that team looks in their infield right now. You got Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at third base. You got Bichette at short. You got Biggio at second. So, you know, he'll probably be a guy that does move to an outfield spot. Yeah, and you want to talk about riches at, the, at the, like, the younger level. I mean, they already have, you know, positional depth out the ass. And so now all of a sudden they throw in Austin Martin, who just falls to them at five. I mean, he's, he's going to be ready in two years, maybe maybe or lower than that. So, I mean, that's, that's an unbelievable pick. I mean, it, it, you fell right into their lap. Yes. And then my, my third winner of the draft was Brody Van Wagnon. Um, I think what he did with the Mets this year was huge. Um, you know, getting Pete Crow Armstrong, 
in the first round. Uh, I think he'll be a better Brett Gardner. Um, and then, you know, backing that up with JT Ginn in round two, the right-handed pitcher. So I think they were another winner of the draft. I think the biggest winner in my eyes was the Rockies getting Veen. Um, I don't, I don't think that he should have fallen there. I think Veen was probably a top three or four player in this whole draft and behind Martin, I think he was the, okay, maybe not behind Martin because Torkelson, but I think overall with Veen's ability as a defensive player, along with his, you know, advanced bat skills, I think he was a top five player in the draft and he fell to them at, I believe they were nine, right? They were nine. I believe Colorado was nine. Um, yeah, that was a unbelievable value for them. But no, them them and the Blue Jays are one and two for winners for me. Um, I just think when you can get it, that high value, guy. I mean, it seemed like there there was a lot, and I think that's a testament to how good the draft was. Is that so many guys that were so talented seemed to like fall into team slaps, but at the same time, those teams that passed on those guys, it wasn't like they were taking guys who weren't high value like I mean even though Baltimore shocked the world and took uh the kid from Arkansas Kierstad with the second pick that wasn't a bad pick still because they got him for under slot and allowed him to do something later in the second round and that their other picks so I I think this draft is about was about as deep as we've seen a draft be in recent years with both the stellar arms and the pretty advanced bats so um, no, I think this is going to be one of the better draft class in the near future, and uh, it should be interesting to see how these guys develop. Yeah, so let's get into the losers of the draft. Um, I'll go in order of how I rank them from, you know, three, two, and then who the biggest loser of the draft was. So my third uh, loser was the Texas Rangers. Uh, you know, the pick of Justin Foscue in the first round, yeah, okay. But four other five picks were high school guys which is probably one of the riskiest moves they could have made um you know you don't ever know how these guys are going to turn out I just don't know how this draft will play out for the Rangers yeah I saw a lot of people that were upset with the Rangers at the same time as as much as there's a risk involved with taking a high schooler like (sighs) we talked about this with James Fox a little bit that teams might take that risk with only five rounds of playing the high ceiling guys in high school is prep guys are where you find the most high ceiling high risk guys and that might have been the route they were taking yep yeah and then so i'll get into my second loser um this is my middle loser is the san francisco giants they Um, were my number one loser yeah so they butchered i've been saying it from Day one, that Patrick Bailey – and it's nothing against the kid. It's just his positional value is lower than it, than it ever has been with the way the game's moving. And to take him with, you know, the what, 13th overall pick, Yep, I just don't understand that. Well, especially when you have Joey Bart that's almost major league ready right now. You know, Buster Posey, when he says he's done, it's Joey Bart's position behind the plate. I don't get that move a whole lot. You know, at best, Patrick Bailey has a platoon spot in San Francisco unless they flip him. If he figures out his bat, but I think in this day and age, I don't know where Patrick Bailey ends up. And the other thing is, there was so much talent there at 13 that they passed on to take a kid that hasn't proven that he could actually hit with a wood bat. And his positional value 
is that he plays good defense, but he's a catcher, and they're moving towards an automatic strike zone. Yes. And then I'll get into my final loser of the night, and that's Rob Manfred. Um, you know, that interview that he had at the beginning made him the biggest loser of the draft. Yeah, it's a tough look for Rob Manfred right now. We talked about this with uh, with Patrick, which you'll hear in a little bit, but that that statement that the deputy commissioner released, or he didn't release it, but it got leaked, that's a bad look for the league. Yeah. I mean, there's no other way to put it. And the way the negotiations are moving right now, which, again, we're going to talk about in a second, but that's such a bad look that you're going to talk to the players as if you're basically threatening them into uh, into doing something. So. Yep, so Rob Manfred is my biggest loser of the draft. Like usual, Rob Manfred is an idiot. I do not like him. He just made my case even stronger why he's a loser. Making a podcast right now. I have to go by. So that is why Rob Manfred is my loser. Yeah, I know. I can't agree with that anymore. I think Manfred is – he really hurt – and obviously there wasn't much to take away from his reputation as is, but anything that was left of it – that's a tough look. There's not really any other way to put it than it's just a tough look. Bring Adam Silver into the MLB. Let him be our commissioner. He's the only player's commissioner that there is. So let's just – how we just get into the next part? Let's go yeah, let's talk just, about this owners. Let's move right into it. Um, yeah. Both the players' union and the owners have decided that they are not going to make counteroffers, which leaves it in the hands of the worst commissioner the in sports. The worst commissioner in sports. So that is uh, – that's who's going to be deciding whether we play baseball or not this year. And if there is baseball – how many games, uh, the money, but you've pretty much seen players, which another big thing is that, and again, we mentioned this with Patrick, this being all over social media probably hasn't helped anything. No, not at all. We are all, we all get to see and hear every single thing that happens. Love Jeff Pass. And I love how he just leaks everything right away. Um, you know, he is fun to follow during this whole thing. I, I think Jeff Passan has been I – mean, we just tweeted this out a little bit ago, but Jeff Passan has been almost a hero of this because he has – even though he has this allegiance to, you know, the media and he has to, you know, kind of play by the rules and, you know, be pretty unbiased, he's pretty much called out anybody that's been wronging others during this this debacle. And you, it's tough to find that in the media today where people – what those biases that people have are either where their money is coming from or like, you know, what, what side they had previously taken passes just on the side of what's right and what's moral here. And I kind of appreciated that through this whole process. And it's sad because we'd rather have baseball talks that weren't involved, weren't involving, you know, such a terrible subject, but I do appreciate the way Jeff Passon has been brutally honest. And, you know, the one thing that's bothering me through this whole thing, and I think it's just complete bullshit about that they won't prorate the salaries how they should be prorated. 
you know, if the guy's going to make $30 million, you're only going to let him play 50. He's playing, playing 50 games. He ain't going to be making that much money. Just pay the damn guy. Mike Trout's worked his whole life to get here. Garrett Cole's worked his whole life to get here. There's a reason they're on top. There's a and, reason they're getting paid. And we had talked Yeah, and we had talked about this earlier. And I think this gets left out a lot. And it doesn't really get talked about. And the people that are on the owner's side will combat this with, you know, well, they pay the players and the pay the players are the employees, so they have to suffer when the when the owner of the business suffers. But the the owners took the risk when you when they bought a team. If you buy if you buy a business, you take the risk. The employees don't take the risk. You take the risk. And when shit hits the fan it's your responsibility to figure it out because when stuff yes. when stuff's good it's not the employees don't reap the benefits of that that's in any business when stuff's good typically the employee salaries aren't going up you're getting paid what you what you signed on to pay or what you signed on to get paid what you signed what you agreed to that's the way it works and when shit hits the fan it's the person on top's job to figure it out. And immediately. Yeah, you're telling me these owners don't have a damn rainy day fund where they have this money saved up. Hey, in case something did happen, I have this money sitting here. It's, I mean, it's not even about that. It's you. Like it's your, your job as the owner. Yes, the player's job is to play the game that you signed them to play. Your job as the owner is to figure it out, make it work, because you bought the team to do that. You didn't buy – Bill DeWitt made the most idiotic statement about how baseball isn't profitable. They just signed a $1 billion deal with TBS. Yes. A $1 billion TV deal. It is profitable. And to say it isn't is just asinine. And so when stuff's good – and the players don't see a penny of that revenue that the owners make when, when everything is going well. It's completely hypocritical to turn the tables when stuff goes bad and say, well, the players, you know, they need to help us out because stuff's not going well. Because it's never been the opposite. I could not agree with you more. It's, it's just asinine, I think, at this point, what the owners are trying to – get the guys to do for the amount of money um I, they agreed to a contract with these guys they're not going to make their full amount we all know that but at least prorate it to where they would be yeah and that's the thing is it's not going to matter anymore because you know, the negotiations are over so it all depends on what Manfred does and we all know that Manfred has absolutely no stones so no. he's, he's gonna do whatever the whatever the owners want so that way they don't get mad at him because since they have the big money, they scare him. And so he's going to do whatever they want so he doesn't get hurt and scared by the owners. So, I mean, and I don't play. You kind of broke up there. What would you say again, Kenny? I said that Give the decision to the guys. If you want to play, then play. If not, then don't. Yeah, it seems like most of the guys want to play. Um, 
that that seems like it's it, that's not what it's that question really it's you know just getting compensated fairly for doing your job which is exactly what every employee has ever wanted yeah no i agree well so, are we done ripping rob manfred here because i got I mean, something else to bring we up prob- we probably never will be done with rob manfred actually let's go on with rob manfred because i don't know did you see the yankees thing that's what i was seriously just about to bring up that's Rob Manfred again. Yes. He covered it up. He, he literally stacked it under a pile of books and was never going to let it come out. And now yes. it's about to be another lo- huge saga because the craziest part about all this is the one team that was probably the most adamant about how bad of cheating this was, was the Yankees. Yes. I mean, we saw Aaron Judge come out and give this big public statement about how he deleted his tweet about Jose Altuve winning MVP and how it's, you know, it, it lacks integrity to do what they did and you're hurting the integrity of the game. I mean, he was on the forefronts of this and all of a sudden he was one of the main parts of it? Yes. If, this, if you know – if this doesn't get Manfred to lose his position as commissioner of Major League Baseball, I don't know what the hell will. I don't know I mean, what, this, what else could he This guy has up? had so much shit go, uh, like, just happen since he's taken office. You know, we need freaking Bud Selig back, man. Rest in peace. Yes, but shit. Everything that has happened under Manfred has just – there's not much good that's happened under Manfred. Let's just what? put it like that. And- in preview of what's going to happen tonight, which we are going to preview that in a little bit, um, Bud Selig turned one of the lowest moments of the history of the game, which was steroids, into figuring out a way to make that marketable and then still punishing the guys who did it. That's genius. Yeah. That's called being, yeah. that's called making it. And when I was talking about the owners figuring it out, the same thing's true for the commissioner. You have to make it work. Bud Selig made it work. He understood, okay. Yes, steroids are terrible for for the game because they're making play like they they made players to do it essentially to compete, but they're bad for the game. But hey, here's an opportunity. Some of these guys that are doing it are the most marketable faces in baseball. Let's market them. People watch. Then we break the whole thing. They go down, but our numbers go through the roof. Well, if you. If you think of the steroid era right now, who do you think of? I think of Sosa, McGuire, and Canseco. Yes. And those were huge names. And that Selig, I mean, he marketed them, just like he said. I mean, you think of Canseco. He was up the Bash Bros. One of the, I mean, yeah. one of the most marketable duos in Major League history. Then you had Sosa, the, the home run chase, which, again, we're going to talk about in a little bit, but extremely marketable. So, again, I'm not condoning steroids. I never will. I'm just saying a good commissioner's figure out ways to make things work. Manfred has not found out a single way to make anything work so far. Everything he does yes. is met with combatment. Yes. He has no control over this league. No, he's getting um, – he gets bullied. He does. He just needs to grow a pair and – just run the shit how it should be ran. Um, and, you, and you know the funny part about that is the commissioner that everybody hated before this, was, which was Roger Goodell, the same reason that we hate Manfred right now is the same reason that we've hated Goodell. 
because he got yeah. bullied. He got bullied by people. He got bull. He was Jerry Jones's bitch for how long? A long. He time. still is. He but still again, is. That's as a commissioner, you have to be willing to take a stand and make things right for the league, not just for those who have money. That's so. why I love Adam Silver. Mm-hmm. That is a but, players commissioner right there. All right, guys, that is that's what we got um, for draft review. Um, obviously, our anger and passionate hate right now towards Rob Manfred. Again, I do hope that he does figure it out because the more turnover you have at the top is always it's, – it's never a good thing. But at this point, it just seems like a lost cause for him to actually nut up and, you know, take a stand. So but that's all we got for that segment. We're going to move on to our interview next with Patrick Flowers. Hey. What's going on? Hey, Patrick. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Not much. How are yeah. you? We're doing all right. Uh, just, you know, taking in the results of the uh, of this week's draft, and uh, that's kind of what we're here to talk with you about today. Um, but before we get started, we'll introduce who you are. So uh, today we have on uh, Patrick Flowers. You can follow him on Twitter at Patrick K. Flowers. Um, he is the founder and editor-in-chief of at the Dugout MLB, where he writes uh, about both Chicago baseball and Milwaukee baseball, mm-hmm. mostly about the White Sox. He's a White Sox fan like me. Um, uh, so, yeah. I mean, that's, Thanks that's for having Patrick me on, guys. On our show today, and we're glad to have you. Yeah, Patrick, uh, one of the things that we were you were just looking at was you had a really cool article with uh, Refugio head coach, uh, Coach K, talking about Jared Kelly and, uh, you know, his potential and, you know, him being drafted by the White Sox. Um, the White Sox just took him. Coach K over at Refugio was gracious with his time today, and he was able to provide me with a lot of insight uh, that we want, you know, find for Jared on your typical Baseball America scouting report or rundown. I came away incredibly impressed, even more impressed than I was originally with him. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, the the talk of the draft, especially early on in day two, was the fact that he slipped to the White Sox. I know um, one, of the, one of the was that he could fall there, but he needed to get past fall under slot in the first round. Um, were you surprised to see him actually fall to the White Sox there? Uh, I was uh, totally surprised. I did not expect that at all. I mean, I had, I had him yeah, I, I think, going as yeah, high I as think you're speaking for a lot of White sixteen Sox to the Cubs in in my mock draft uh, a few weeks ago. I really, really, really did not see him sliding out of the first round. But then again, the, that first round, especially early on, was it had a huge run of college players. Uh, we and we know why. But uh, fortunately, he was still there for the White Sox at forty seven. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, I mean, and taking Crochet first overall or that their first overall pick, um, that's not necessarily a pick that was under slot value. Um, so it was kind of surprising to see them be able to still have the money to sign Kelly in the second round. I'm guessing their overall numbers with, um, with Crochet are going to end up being a little bit more under slot. 
Um, but obviously with their last three picks, they went with guys who either aren't going to sign or are going to sign for, you know, very below value. Oh, deals. not at all. Um, but I mean, but even with that lack of depth, you I mean, you can't be upset with the value the White Sox got. That one-two punch of Crochet and Kelly, regardless of how the money ends up shaking out on one end or the other between the two of them, that made the draft. I mean, even if even if none of the the remaining three picks sign, it's still a win for the White Sox. They added two elite arms to their farm uh, in a matter of 24 hours. Yeah, and that's something that I, I just wrote about. We'll be publishing an article pretty soon on our website. Um, you know, the d- depth value of the White Sox draft probably isn't going to be very high, but the value of the White Sox draft is very high, considering the two guys that they were able to get at the top of the draft. Um, mm-hmm. So that's for the White Sox, we'll, we'll stop there. We want to kind of switch over to Milwaukee stuff. Um, and, and with that being said, it seems like the Brewers got an unbelievable value with Garrett Mitchell at 20. I mean, and obviously MLB.com had him at sixth, but, you know, a lot of talk around him was that he was he was extremely highly valued and his tools are going to play up. Um, Another one, just like the, I think the Brewers got an unbelievable um, value with Garrett Jared Mitchell Kelly at uh, pick for the White Sox. Mitchell sliding all the way down to the Brewers is another thing I didn't see coming. And I think the Brewers, uh, Got tremendous value. That was a big win for them on day one of a draft that they really, really, really needed to hit a home run on because their farm system is atrocious or was atrocious, I should say, and it needed a shot in the arm. And that was a perfect way to start their draft class. And, you know, the thing I love most about what the Brewers did is they understood their their farm system is not where it needs to be. And instead of taking guys that were maybe safer plays, uh, you know, less upside, but lower, like not as high of a risk. um, They went with guys that have extremely high tools and that could develop into very valuable big league talent. And I think that's the way that you, you boost your farm. Yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, in the days leading up to it, I wrote about it a few times, at least that the Brewers farm system was just dilapidated. And, you're, you you hit it right on the head. They went high ceiling. I mean, even Garrett Mitchell, who I really didn't see uh, making it to number 20, he's a high ceiling guy. I mean, Freddie Samora from Miami, he's more of a glove guy. The bat might come around. But really, I mean, you go to the third round and you look at their pick as Xavier Warren from Central Michigan, whether they have him – whether they have him stay behind the plate or they have him play in the infield or the outfield, that kid is loaded with tools and potential and can really play anywhere on the diamond. Yeah, and I think the same is true for all the other picks, too, including, you know, Joey yep. Weimer, um, their fifth-round pick of Hayden Cantrell. I mean, everybody they took seems to have this – incredible quality Mm -hmm. and quantity of tools that you know they have in their bag and um you know it's it's exciting i mean especially in a shortened draft it's tougher to nail every pick and you're never going to know if you nailed every pick but when you add so many tools in a shortened draft like this is absolutely i I think the brewers should be very happy with the way that their draft class turned out For sure. Um, all right. We're going to uh, switch up a little bit off the draft talk. 
Um, we've seen the owners and players go back and forth. I know that you have voiced some opinions on this through both uh, your website and some tweets. Um, it seems as if every time an offer is proposed, there's almost an instant rejection by one side and a proposal that doesn't really move the needle from the other side. Um, what? How quickly could we get a deal? Or are we not going to get it? Well, I mean, Major League Baseball said um, that this is their final offer and that the players have until Sunday to whether uh, agree or not agree to it. Now, do I believe them that they won't hear out a counter proposal or come at them with an off, another offer? No, not really. I don't really believe anything they say at this point. I don't think they've been very honest um, or, you know, or had good intentions in this whole negotiating process. So who knows? I mean, honestly, I really think that we're just going to end up with the mandated shortened 48 game schedule. Yeah. And that really seems like, you know, what's that, that's the way we're going is the, the owners are just going to through Rob Manfred mandate that 50 game schedule. Cause I mean, you I don't know if you saw the article that the that athletic awful posted look about for the baseball they received from the deputy commissioner, but I mean, in that, that was really a terrible look for not just baseball, but especially the commissioner's office for, I mean, essentially not word for word, but essentially saying we don't have to pay you anything at all because you know, in the state of emergency, so we could make you play whatever we, mm-hmm. whatever you want or whatever we want. And for yeah, the amount yeah, it was, it was bullying. I mean, so yeah, th- yeah. That that letter, it was completely unnecessary. So much of this negotiating process so far has yeah, been I mean, completely unnecessary on both sides. The 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 posturing, the public posturing and banter on social media, the indirect shots at each other in a public forum, the the, the letter from the deputy commissioner's office. It's just all unnecessary and it's hindering the negotiation process because now it's just a pissing match. Yeah. And I really do think that the more, the more closed off these negotiations would have been to the public, the better. Yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, like with most negotiations, you know, anytime that you involve more people that need to be involved in the process, you're, you're just going to have more, more of a headache. I mean, there's an old saying, you know, too many um, chiefs, not enough Indians. They're, the, the talking heads, the leadership groups on both sides should be the ones steering this yeah. and they should be doing it at a negotiating table, not in public. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. All right. Well, we, one last question for you before before we uh, we leave you here today. Um, assuming that maybe we do get that mandated fifty game schedule, maybe they come to an agreement where we do get you know the 70, 76, 80 games. Um, but let's assume that it's around the fifty game mark and that we don't get a deal. With the volatility of a fifty game schedule amount of things that 
likely shouldn't happen, but could happen because they're playing so few games. What is the craziest scenario? Could be White Sox, could be anything. Craziest scenario that could happen? Um, I mean, and I don't, I don't think this is a bad thing, but I think one of the, it might even, it's actually a benefit in my eyes. Uh, in a, such a shortened season, and then they're going to have expanded rosters. You might see guys this year up at the major league level that you didn't think you were going to see. I think it's going to be – it's just going to be so different than what we're used to. And I know that sounds like an extremely obvious answer, but I think even right now at face value, we're not realizing how different this is going to look and feel. Yeah, and I – that's that's the thing. It's so new that nobody really understands um, how how it's going to go. I mean, we actually, and I know it sounds crazy, but I mean, a guy like Garrett Crochet, who has, we could actually see him be on the big league roster this year. Seen enough innings, the college without a doubt. I mean, that's most definitely come up a possibility especially the they're going to have this taxi squad in place they're going to have expanded rosters and like you said you got a, a college pitcher who's pitched his entire college career in the sec he's been to the the uh, college world series playoffs and he's got a major league fastball from the left side today like why not put him in a position to pitch for you this year if, if it's worth it if you're in contention Hey, thank you for coming on with us. Uh, we want to thank you so much for uh, you know coming on the podcast and just chatting with us about White Sox, Brewers, the draft. Unfortunately, the uh, labor relations. Um, but hey, uh, thank you again, and uh, we look forward to having you back. Absolutely, thanks for having you know, me, guys. Players, yeah, thank you for again. thank you for um, coming. No thank problem. You so Talk much. to you guys later. We'd love to have you back on another time. No problem. All right, guys, that was our interview with Patrick Flowers of the Dugout, presented to you by Anchor, which is our sponsor. Um, next thing we're going to get into, um, before we kind of talk about uh, the documentary tonight on ESPN, uh, we're going to get into our What the Hell Happened to This Guy, which is one of our favorite segments. Um, I don't think Kenny's really going to know mine. I think I'm going to kind of surprise him a little bit by it. Um, so I'll get, I'll give you some hints, Kenny. Um, he was with the Texas Rangers for I think five or six years. Okay. And he was a staple of their bullpen. When was he there? From the years 2009 through 2014, I believe. Okay. He was on the world series team. Yep. He was the guy that gave up the David Freeze game-tying triple. Oh, I know who this is. It's a guess. Neftali Feliz. You are right. Neftali Feliz is my what the hell happened to this guy. Um, you wouldn't really think it. And I don't really know how I got to thinking about him. He just, like, I... It was really weird how I started thinking about him, actually. Like, I was just – I was trying to figure out who I was going to do for this segment. And I was, like, you know, for some reason looking up stuff about, like, the Cardinals and that World Series run and stuff. And 
It's like what what happened to Naftali Feliz? And yeah, he ended up in Milwaukee for one year. I know that. I mean, we I think we caught him in June or July of that season. Yeah. Well, here's the thing that I don't think people recognize. So for a reliever, it's kind of it's it's a little bit harder to accumulate WAR as a reliever. You know, you're not throwing a lot of innings. Your strikeout rates are high, but you're not you know you're not throwing enough to get a lot of strikeouts. Um, But he threw 241 and two-thirds innings between 2009 and 2014 with the Rangers, which were those were the only years that he actually was successful. Um, any guesses what his ERA was in those five years? Something low twos. Yep, a two one six. Again, that's kind of tough for a closer because throwing you know one inning, two innings max. But again, back you know in the late 2000s, early you know early teens. Um, there weren't a lot of like multi-inning closers, so he was throwing mostly one inning apiece, which is a harder thing to do to keep your your ERA down. Um, slight flex there with the you know the closer talk, uh, but he had a two one six ERA over those those five years. What do you think his WAR was? Nine ten. No, way lower than that. It was only a four point six. Way but, but four point six. For, but for a reliever. That's pretty yeah, successful. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, and the craziest part was in the season with those low he had a one nine nine in that twenty fourteen season. Um one nine nine in year eight. But he actually had negative award because his FIP was high. So realistically his war could have been even higher considering his actual results on the field, not like, you know, some some of the advanced statistics. But a four point six war for a reliever is, you know, pretty admirable. Um but after that 2014 season, it seemed like everything just kind of hit the fan, and uh, it was really downhill. 2015, his K rates went way down. His opponent's batting average were way up, and all three slash line numbers were up. He pitched to an over six ERA, and then he was DFA'd by the Rangers, where then he was picked up by Detroit. Detroit held him through the year. Signed in the offseason with Pittsburgh. Made it through the entire year with Pittsburgh, and that would be the last time he would do that. As next offseason, he would sign with Milwaukee, where he was DFA'd. Signed by Kansas City. Released in September. Did not finish the season with a team. Then he signed with the Diamondbacks. Never made it to the major leagues. Spent the whole year in their minor league system. Then signed with the Mariners at the beginning of 2019. Never made it to the majors with the Mariners. And now he plays in the Dominican Winter Ball League for the Leones de Escogida. Interesting. So he has played with since the year 20, or I guess not necessarily played with, but been in the organization. Uh, he was from 2014 until 2019. He was with Texas, Detroit, Pittsburgh, Milwaukee, Kansas City, Arizona, and Seattle. He's been in seven different organizations in the last six years. That after, is interesting. After one point being one of the most dominant closers in the game. Interesting. Yeah, well, should I get, in, should I get into my guy? You know what? I say go for it. I don't think I know yours either, so. All right. So we have the uh, former 10th overall pick in the 1999 MLB draft. Okay. He was a four-time All-Star. He earned a 33 war in eight big league seasons. Um, 
you know, he was the staple of the Milwaukee Brewers rotation from 2002 to about 2008. Any guesses yet? 2002 to 2018, he was a 10th overall pick? Yep. I don't know. At the time, he signed the largest contract in Brewers history. All right, I'll tell you, it's Ben Sheets. Ben Sheets? I should have known that. Yes. He's he's basically like a Brewers legend to you guys. Treat him like he's, you know. He's in our Hall of Fame. But, yeah, let's talk about this guy for a little bit. So, um, 2004 was the year that he just completely dominated. And, you know, the Brewers were not very good that year because uh, his win-loss record was 12-14. and 14. Um, But he had a 2-7 ERA. He threw 237 innings and had 264 strikeouts. For that year, he was eighth in Cy Young voting. Yeah, no, I, I, I remember Ben Sheets. I just don't know how yeah. I didn't figure that out. Yes, 2007, 12-5, 3.82 area, through 141 innings, 106 strikeouts. In 2008, 13-9, with 309 ERA, through 198 innings, 158 strikeouts. By 33 years old, he was out of the league. So let, let's talk about what happened to Ben Sheets a little bit. He had a ton of of injuries in his career. So, in 2001, his season ended in August due to bulging discs in his neck. To open up the 2005 season, he was on the disabled list for the first five weeks of the season because he had a series of ear infections that caused him to have balance issues. Yikes. In 2006, <laughs> he missed... Yeah. Yes. In That's a yikes. Yes. In 2006, he missed six weeks in the first half of the season due to shoulder tendonitis. During 2008, he tore his UCL and Tommy John surgeries. In 2010, he tore his flexor tendon. Now, in 2010, he played for Oakland. He went 4-9, uh, 4-5-3 ERA and 20 starts. You know, not a terrible year. But in 2012, um, you know, didn't play at all in the 2011 season because he was coming off of his flexor tendon tear. In 2012, he finished his career with Atlanta. He came up in August, made nine starts. He went four and four with a three four seven ERA. He was done. Now I was looking at what was going on with Ben Sheets. So in 2008, he was having a lot of the shoulder tendonitis from the year before. Um, so in 2008, he was actually undergoing sugar water injections. What? And what, is, the perp- what is a sugar water injection? The purpose of that is it makes the muscles heal faster, your recovery rate faster. I've actually never heard of that. Yes, yes. So he was undergoing sugar water injections that actually derailed his career. Oh, that's actually kind of tough. So what is he doing now? He's a volunteer pitching coach at the University of Louisiana Monroe. He's a part owner of the Milwaukee Admirals, and he said he spends a lot of time eating Cajun food. His favorite's jambalaya and crawfish. We still got to get Billy Butler on the podcast. Yeah, you know, I don't know if anything will top Billy Butler, what he's doing right now. Yeah, that's – we got to find someone that's doing something different than what Billy Butler's doing. Some guy who's do, repairing air conditioning machines or something. 
like when Mickey Mantle and DiMaggio were, you know, greeters at the Atlantic City. Yeah. Like, guys, we got to find somebody doing shit like that. Yeah. That would be awesome. Yes. But, yeah, no. So, Ben Sheets, you know. He I mean, was hey. a guy that I grew up watching a ton as a Milwaukee Brewers fan. Um, he was instrumental in a, that playoff run. It was that 2007 was our playoff run? Yeah. So. So, that's – Yeah. That's a good one. I like – that's – I guess I never really thought about – did Ben Sheets throw no hitter? I don't think so. I don't remember. I do not think he threw a no hitter. At least I don't recall a no hitter from Ben Sheets. Oh, also, uh, we almost forgot to mention this. You know what uh, today is the anniversary of? No. Today is the anniversary of Mark Burley. Oh taking, yes, yes. Taking was it loop? Was it Looper? Yes. I, think it, I think it was Looper. Took him deep at Miller Park. Yep. So for all you White Sox fans out there, celebrate it. Because Mark Brilly hit a homer today at Miller Park yep. off of Looper. You know, the other thing that I was reading the other day about Mark Burley since we got on this subject. Um, so he threw, what, that no-hitter? Um, what year was that? Or was that a perfect game? Well, he threw both. Well, what, I think – which Big one was flex. the later one? Which uh, one was the, that, that was happened a, later? That, I want to say that was 2012 against yeah, Tampa. Yeah, I think that was, that was the one they were talking about. So, Mark Burley was – you know, they talked to him about it. And – way is that he didn't have his pregame monster. And he had the worst bullpen of his life and continued to throw a perfect game. Mark Brilly is one of the greatest human beings of all time. I yeah. there's no complaints for me with him. I love listening to the guy talk baseball. Did so. you ever did you ever uh hear about his story in the bullpen in the World Series? No. So he came in game four. Game four no, game three. Game three, which went I I don't remember if it was thirteen or fourteen innings. Um but they needed him out of the bullpen. And obviously, as a starting pitcher, he wasn't prepared to come in out of the bullpen. So he actually had a few drinks in him. Oh, interesting. And came in out of the bullpen um, and gave the White Sox some some needed uh, relief help, which they ended up going on to win the game and ultimately win the 2005 World Series. So, yeah, Mark, Mark Burley is a golden human being. Anytime we get to talk about Mark Burley, I feel – feel blessed. Yeah, no, he's good to talk about. But well, Mark since, really we're talk about the, since we're talking about the past a little bit, how about we talk about the documentary that's going on ESPN tonight? Yeah, we are going to talk about the documentary going on about ESPN tonight. But first, we have a quick word from our resident Cubs fan, Casey Sauter. All right, that was our quick all right, guys, we are back with our resident Cubs fan, Mr. Casey Sauter. Welcome back, Casey. Hi, guys. All right, guys, we are back with our resident Cubs fan, Mr. Casey Sauter, who also is our resident shoe stealer, apparently, because he's 
you know, stole my shoes. But we'll talk about Cubs today and not about shoe stealing. So, Casey, welcome back. How are you guys doing? We are just fine. Uh, better than the Cubs, I can tell you that. So, not gonna, not gonna lie, Cubs had a pretty good draft. It's kind of upsetting, actually. No, they did have a good draft, and we'll we'll get into that. But they're gonna need to have good drafts in the next three or four years with the way they're. Well, yeah, when you when you have a team that doesn't have a single prospect in the top fifty, and I mean, you have Nico Horner who's gonna be on the big league roster, so he's gonna be coming out of your prospect rankings. But then your next and Marquez and Brennan Davis, my boy, at number seventy-eight. So you guys have two prospects in the top hundred right now. So you guys really did need. Yeah, they, they needed a pretty good Great draft. Up. They needed a good draft for sure. Um, Casey, what are your thoughts on the Cubs draft? Um, so just kind of looking at the Cubs picks here. Um, they obviously took hometown man Ed Howard uh, first pick. I wasn't too happy. Like, I wasn't pumped about the decision at first just because, you know, like you said, you got Javier Short and Nico. will probably end up playing second base because they've been bouncing guys in and out at second. I mean, granted, he is a shortstop, so it'll take him about four years to, you know, get his way up to possibly play in the majors if everything pans out the right way. But I don't think he'll be playing shortstop in um, the majors. I think that, if anything, he'll probably be playing second base. He did pretty well last year. Uh, batted 421, 11 doubles, four triples, three homers. Um, a lot of the draft stock said that he's a great fielder. He's got really good hands, clean. Um, but he, he, his hitting needs to do a lot better. I guess he's put on like 15 pounds of muscle, but the hitting still needs to do better. Um, they took two left-handed pitchers. Um, one guy, his name is Burl Carway from Dallas Baptist. Uh, I think that's a junior college. Oh, no, that's a junior college. But uh, he's a reliever. Um, he, he's – Looks like he's, his stats are pretty good. I mean, this year, I know they didn't play very many games, but the games he did, he pitched 9.1 innings, only had five hits against. 31 walks, 89 strikeouts, so that's not too bad. And he had a .96 ERA. Granted, they didn't play very many games, but as a closer, you know, having an under one ERA, that's not bad for, for the Cubs. No, I like I like the bro. I mean, he had one of the top-ranked uh, fastballs out of any college guy, so – you know, Callaway picks a decent pick. Uh, I think he's probably going to slot more into a, a bullpen role in the future. But, it, you know, it's it's riskier to take guys who have, uh, you know, set in stone bullpen futures over guys that are starters because you could always move them to the bullpen. But at the same time, uh, a guy with this good of a fastball is Callaway. Uh, he should be able to play in a big league bullpen, uh, especially as a left-hander. So. Yep, and then uh, moving down to the next round, uh, Jordan Wagau. Uh, he's from Michigan. Um, in his three years of playing in Michigan, he batted 334 average, 545 slugging, 430 on base percentage. And from the pictures I looked at and kind of looking at his weight and height, he looks like a bigger, heavier guy. But he actually had 30 stolen bases in three years, which isn't a crazy amount for an outfielder. But still, I was kind of surprised with his size. No, Wogu is an underrated pick for them. Uh He's been a really good college player, and uh, he kind of spun under the radar, and the Cubs got a nice little player in Nogu, So, uh, This next pick I'm actually excited to talk about, uh, Luke Little from uh, San Jacinto, 
Yeah, he's the uh, the viral star. Junior college, I think it says. The viral uh, star. 6'8", 225, and like Bo said, uh, I was watching a video of him on Twitter. Uh, he hit 105. Um, they said that his, aver- his control is just average, but his slider and curve are a lot higher than just average. Um, and they also said he's most likely going to be a bullpen guy. So, um, of, over the four picks that I've gone over, I'm pretty happy with the picks. Um, like I said, at Howard, I wasn't too hip on right away just because, you know, you do have Javi and you do have Horner. But, I mean, if you think about it, in four years, that's when, when he'll probably end up being moved up. So, he's got some time uh, to just kind of mature and move up. And he's got clean hands from what I've seen. And he just needs some uh, help on his hitting. And, and I think he could – I think it's great that he's a hometown guy. So, no. now Casey, I have a question for you about Ed Howard. Do you, you think this is? The- um, honestly, I don't personally see the Cubs letting go Javi. I think, like you guys said, I, I think we can get a lot for uh, Chris Bryant, um, or you could let go of Rizzo, one of the one of the three guys. But I don't see Javi going anywhere, and. If this is a precursor to Javi leaving, I'm going to be pretty upset with the Cubs just because Javi, like you guys have been talking about, he's a top-tier shortstop. He's clean. I mean, his hitting can use some work, obviously, but everybody knows who Javier Baez is. I think I think the best thing that they could do with Ed Howard, if they're going to play him in the major leagues, is move him around. I know they're talking about moving him to second, uh, third, outfield so even if you do replace if you get rid of Chris Bryant get some um, decent stuff for Chris Bryant you can move him over to third base I mean there's a lot of places you could put him because he is a shortstop I think uh, I think no matter what he's, whether he's they, very versatile I guess I think whether they get rid of Javi or they keep Javi I don't think that changes their uh, I think they continue to develop Howard as a shortstop um, obviously playing shortstop gives you uh, a better chance to be able to play the field somewhere else because you have to be more athletic, uh, good arm strength. Um, so that obviously gives you opportunities to play anywhere else around the diamond. Um, so I, I think they do continue to develop him as a shortstop. But uh, at the same time, if you keep Baez, obviously Baez is your shortstop. Um, yeah, it's, I think Howard's more likely to play third base. He's got a really strong arm. He's very athletic. He's very quick, uh, extremely good hands. I think he's – He's more valuable playing the hot corner than he would be at second base. Um, but at the same time, no, I think uh, – I think that I really do think the Cubs had a good draft because even the pick with Luke Little, I mean, he's his walk rate is sky high along with his strikeout rate, which is also sky high, but he walks a lot of guys. Um, but that's something that you can develop and you can help uh, work on control, work on maturity. Um, so that, that is a high ceiling pick. It's also a very high risk pick because he could turn out to be nothing more than just an organizational filler because he can't figure it out. But no, I think the Cubs That's had what a the Cubs are full of though. Yeah, I think the Cubs have been I think the Cubs had a, a really good draft. Um, you you would like to see more depth because Luke Little and Burl Callaway could both end up being relievers at the big league level, which again, in only a five round draft, you're trying to find more starting pitching capable guys. But for what those guys could be, I think I think they did pretty well. But I mean I do think that the Cubs are lacking that back half of the bullpen. You know, I think their starters, even if you talk about not having less this year due to this COVID stuff, I think that we have um, 
quite a few starters that can get us through. I just think that the back half of the bullpen is was always needed help. And, you know, when we did win the World Series, that's why they made the huge move to go get Chapman for the rest of the year to lock him up just to kind of get that help in the back half. So um, I, I think I think it was good picks for them to get guys that are close um, to the back end guys. But like you said, I mean, with five rounds that they should have possibly – look for some starting pitchers but I was very happy with their picks of picks of picks picking relieving picture pitchers and the reason I think they probably you know, Casey, should... oh shoot Kenny you go Casey here's the thing about Javier Baez uh you know me and Bo talked about this it's the same thing kind of going on in Houston right now um you know Houston has Alex Bregman they have Jose Altuve um and they didn't lock up Carlos Correa that's the shortstop you know in my opinion, I think that Javier Baez is replaceable with a guy like Ed Howard. I think um, if I was a general manager for the Cubs, I'm locking up Chris Bryant and I'm keeping Rizzo because Rizzo is solid defensively and still has a very plus bat. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I see where you're coming from there, absolutely. Um, I mean, if this kid is legit, if he really is what – if if I don't – I mean, I feel like it's a huge jump, especially from high school into college, whether it be um, high school into D1 college. So I think high school into uh, pro ball right away is kind of going to be a huge jump. So, I mean, people are saying he's legit. So I think it's going to take some time to get him some reps to see what he can actually do before realizing, okay, is this guy for real or not or, like, is he just, you know, he's going to be super good through high school and then he's just going to kind of be mediocre through um, through the pros. And that's just kind of where I think that they could possibly use him as trade bait um, to somewhere else. But, you know, with the first round pick at, at pick 16, I don't see them using him as trade bait. He does decent. Um, you know, play the diamond. Um, so, I mean, I guess it all comes down to see if this guy's legit or now. I mean, can he make the plays? Can he level? Can he hit at pro ball level at all? I think the, I think the biggest, the biggest point here with the Howard pick is everything rides on the way that he develops. If he develops into a guy that they see at the, at the lower levels as he's going to become a, a star shortstop and he's our guy of the future, then maybe they do let Baez walk and they decide to pay Bryant. If Howard seems like a guy who's not going to be your star shortstop and someone who maybe could be a good third baseman or a good second baseman, but he's not going to be a star, then maybe you keep Baez to be your middle, your middle of the field guy and you move on from Bryant and Rizzo. Um, it all depends on the development, I think, of Howard. And I think we may have lost Casey. Um, yeah, I think, I think we lost him. But, I mean, that's actually probably a good place to stop there because we were going to talk about some stuff about the Cubs anyway. But, um, no, I, I think that he brought up some good points about you know, whether Howard's the guy that makes the move on from Baez, I don't know. Um, 
But the thing about you know, the you know, Bo, we talked about this. Yeah, I don't know, maybe about a year, uh, about a year ago, and we were talking about the same thing that was kind of going on in Houston right now. You know, we didn't really see it with other people, other organizations yet. They did have that loaded infield, but we're we're gonna see it in Houston. I think that Carlos Correa will um, be the free the guy that gets let go on that team. Do you see Baez being the guy that gets let go in Chicago? In your opinion? I don't know. I mean, I was the one that had made that point a long time ago that I think yeah. Correa is the guy that leaves, and no one believed me because they were saying, "Oh, well, they're going to keep all three. Well, that's not necessarily an option. It's not necessarily an option because you can't load up your entire infield with all the money that you want to spend on them, and then hope to still have a pitching staff that can compete. And I think the same is true with the Cubs, especially where the Cubs are at right now with their staff, which I was going to get to anyway. So you kind of led me into it. The Cubs staff is aging and I mean to put it nicely they're aging and they're exiting some of their big deals Lester aging exiting his big deal they have Hamels for a year Quintana is going to be a free agent after this year Um, Hendricks I believe has two years maybe left Uh, yeah he has two years left of that 13.8 a year deal Um, so and again, their organizational depth with arms is extremely limited. And that's the other thing that I was going to ask you. Do they get more of a return? Do they go with this route? Which guy is going to get us the most return? Chris Bryant or Javier Baez for and a pitching staff? And again, are we going to get two starting pitchers out of Baez or are we going to get two starting pitchers out of Bryant? And again, that's the thing. If they plan on keeping one of them, then yeah, you make that decision who is who's our guy that gets the biggest, biggest return. If they plan on moving on completely and starting over and saying, okay, we're going to get what we can from Baez and Brian, that's a different story. Um, but again, we don't know where they sit with that because, you know, Theo has never had to do that before. Anytime Theo has been challenged with adversity, he's kind of seemed to just kind of walk away. So, yep. um, no, I think, I think the Cubs are an interesting story right now just because of not – I don't think they're current story is intriguing i think their future story is intriguing because they really have a lot up in the air about what they could do with their future but we want we want to thank casey for coming on um thank you casey thank you for uh coming on and talking about the scrubs so have fun in boys town (laughs) see you guys all right good to have you casey and uh we'll bring you on next sunday to talk more cubs uh, if we can find if we can find anything to talk about with them, so all right. But that's our segment with our resident Cubs fan and now shoe stealer, Mr. Casey Sauter. We will move on to our chat about the long gone summer next. Quick little segment with our resident Cubs fan, Casey Sauter, um, and kind of still on the topic of the Cubs, which we like to do as little as possible. But this is more about baseball in general than it is about the Cubs. Um, ESPN is airing the Long Gone Summer documentary tonight, which um, I am excited to watch, even though it's going to be talking mostly about um, one of the the at least uh, in in well, I can't speak the least or one of the players the least amounts of integrity in the history of the game. Wow, um, which was Sammy Sosa, who, by the way, if you saw one of our original tweets. He cheated twice by not only taking steroids, but by corking his bat and then getting caught for that too. So, um, but that's airing tonight at eight o'clock central time. Um, 
should be interesting talking about a period in the game that, um, although it's it's kind of disgraced, it did help baseball a lot. Um, and it kind of got it back in a lot of households, and it brought back a lot of fans. And so the steroid era did have its benefits, and it cre- created a jump in those who uh, cared about the game and wanted to be a part of the game. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how – my guess is, especially with Sammy Sosa and McGuire being such, like, integral parts in this documentary that it's going to be a lot about how good it was for the game and not really any bad side, which I think is a little bit ridiculous because when you think about it, um, guys like Sosa and McGuire who took the steroids and showed how dominant they could be and then did become dominant and were obviously so far above capable of what everybody else could do it put guys in a really weird spot because if you didn't take the steroids, you didn't have a chance to compete. And if you did take the steroids, you did irreparable damage to your body that, you know, is going to cause you long-term harm. And again, yes, it ended up being a very marketable thing for baseball and allowed them to make a lot of money and get a lot of fans back to the game. But it did a lot of bad things to a lot of people that didn't have another choice, basically, besides taking the steroids. And again, Barry Bonds is the face of this, too. But Barry Bonds said in a statement, like, it was, it was impossible to compete unless you did take them. And it's guys like McGuire and Sosa that put them in that position. No, yeah, you hit that. He Barry hit that right on the head, you know. At that point, you needed to take steroids to be, um, you know, a star of the game. Um, there, You weren't going to compete if you weren't taking them. I remember, um, you know, talking about the whole Sosa McGuire thing. I remember, you know, at Little League practices when I was younger, my dad would always talk to us about how much fun it was watching the Sosa McGuire home run race because, like, you were just on the edge of your seat. Who's going to take the lead today? Oh, is McGuire going to get it? Is Sosa going to get it? You know? Yeah, and again, like, there's no stating, like, that it was good. Like, there's no one saying it wasn't, like, marketable and that it didn't get fans back in the game. And, yeah, it was fun. And I wish I was around when that was going on because it was fun. It would have been fun because we've never, we've never had anything like that, like a home run chase like that. No. And, it, yeah, it would have been a lot of fun to be around for that. But at the same time, it's lasting impact on the game. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to say that it, it's still. We don't. We still don't feel it today because we do. We still feel it today. I mean, obviously the biogenesis scandal with Rodriguez and your homeboy Ryan Braun. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, it's that's tough. Um, hey, you know what? They didn't store the piss right, so. You know, the White Sox are a part of it, too, because we ended up getting Melky Cabrera, and he was in that, too. So, But besides the biogenesis point, what I'm trying to say is the, the fact that those guys still have on the game today, It yes, the home run chase is a part of that, but a lot of it is the steroids aspect of it, that guys still want to achieve what they did, and they can only do it by cheating. Yeah, you're, you, that's the only way they were going to get in that chase. And not even that, like, 
yeah, they were relevant players, but people are never going to achieve some of the things that they achieved because of them, them taking advantage of something that it just it wasn't fair and it actually wasn't even healthy. You're, I mean, they destroyed their bodies forever. I do want to uh, – our, our guy, one of uh, our my favorite follows on Twitter is uh, Ryan Spader, which if you guys don't follow Ryan Spader, follow Ryan Spader. He puts out some awesome stuff. Um, but he tweeted out something uh, kind of about McGuire and his home run rate. Um, and he said if Barry Bonds had homered as efficiently during his career as Mark McGuire did, he would have hit 959 home runs. Jesus. So, which, again, backing up that stat, McGuire averaged 50.4 home runs per 162 games played during his career. Again, he cheated. There's no way around it. But they did bring a different aspect to the game that, you know, changed the culture and changed, like, the way people saw it. So, it's it's a hard argument for some. It's not a hard argument for me because I just don't condone cheating. We saw what cheating just did. You know, this winter, it tore the game apart for a little bit. You had players absolutely hating on players who were supposed to be faces of the game. Like Alex Bregman and Jose Altuve and Carlos Correa are supposed to be faces of baseball. And then other faces of baseball, you know, obviously Judge might be a part of this now too with the Yankee scandal, but Aaron Judge and Mike Trout and Max Scherzer and Trevor Bauer – those guys were going head-to-head because of what cheating does to the game. That's exactly what these guys did. And the only reason that it isn't as vilified as what the Astros are doing right now, one, because it's, you know, 20, 25 years ago. But the other important part is that it made baseball better. And that's why people have so much time or so much, such a hard time deciding whether they, they are mad about it or not. Yep. But, all right, that's our little preview about the Long Gone Summer, which will be airing tonight on ESPN. Um, 9 p.m. Eastern time. Go out, check it out. Uh, you White Sox Brewers fans, it's 8 o'clock your time. We'll, uh, we'll come back with a little recap on it on Wednesday for y'all. Yeah, we, uh, we will definitely be watching that. Um, I don't know if hopefully we get this out before uh, – you know, it airs. If it doesn't, you know, you can at least hear our predictions about that. But, um, yeah, 8 o'clock Sunday, which is tonight. Um, check it out. And then come back Wednesday for our recap of it. Um, but for us, that's all we got. Uh, thank you again for listening to Chalkline Talk. Kenny, any final thoughts? No, just – Thank you guys for supporting us. You know, we're still getting this whole thing going, working out all the kinks and stuff. But, uh, you know, thanks for coming out and supporting all of us. And uh, make sure you check out the Twitter and the website's been revamped a little bit. Website's completely up now. And check out some of the new designs we got for logos. And And also, we've been writing some articles. So go take a look at those. Uh, Kenny had a mock draft. He'll be releasing a new article about David Stearns, I I believe, right? Yeah, it's it's grading David Stern's uh, top ten trades uh, since he's taken over in Milwaukee. 
All right, so all you Brewers fans, go check out Kenny's new article, which should be releasing soon. Um, Brewers and White Sox fans, check out my article about the draft halls and uh, what I thought about it. But for today, that's all we got. We're going to roll the outro. Adios, guys. And as I always say before we end, chalk line talk, baby. See y'all.